Hey, what's up, guys? It is February 7th, 2018. Uh, kind of rushed to make sure I got the newsletter out there at the last second, and I think I put the wrong date in the newsletter, but uh, that's all right. I already fixed it in the online version. Um, so yeah, some uh, quite a few stories to get to today. I uh, still haven't had anything uh, myself written that I wrote myself uh, published this week. Uh, but uh, hopefully I'll get around to writing something uh, to maybe get published later this week in either Bitcoin Magazine or Forbes. Uh, something I might write on is this uh, point that Peter Thiel made. I don't know if it was today or yesterday, but it was reported in Zero Hedge and there's a video of it going around of him talking about uh, how crypto is libertarian and AI is communist. So I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, and then there's a story in Quartz uh, where they basically did a you know kind of in-depth report on how arbitrage works between exchanges in South Korea and other places around the world. Uh, because, you know, the you're not supposed to be able to move money out of the country, basically. So arbitraging between the exchanges is basically illegal. So I'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, Forbes released their first crypto rich list of the top 20 richest people in the cryptocurrency space. Uh, Mike Novogratz is launching a, or he raised $250 million for a crypto merchant bank. And Grayscale, who is behind the Bitcoin Investment Trust, is launching a new fund where it's the top, I think it's the top four, no, top five. It's, their, it's the fourth fund from Grayscale because they also have a uh, Zcash fund and Ethereum Classic fund. I think this new one will hold a portfolio of five crypto assets, including a Ethereum proper. Uh, and then I'll have some other stuff we'll get to as well. And I'll try to get to your questions in the chat too. So let's start with this. Hold on, I'm going to move over here a little bit. All right, let's start with this uh, Peter Thiel story. So I found it to be pretty interesting. And I think I wrote something similar to this uh, back when I was first writing about uh, Bitcoin when I was writing for Crypto Coins News. Um, I wrote. I remember I wrote this article about you know how bitcoin and similar technologies and based around encryption and decentralization uh kind of you know take a lot of political arguments and make them more you know transparent about what they're really about so instead of like uh the right and the left you know the the political debates might become more about you know authoritarian uh versus libertarian uh, because, you know, when, when we have something like Bitcoin, uh, which could potentially become more anonymous uh, and, you know, it's the idea is that it's completely unregulated and governments can't do about it, do anything about it. Uh, then, you know, if you if you want to shut down, you know, Bitcoin, the argument basically becomes between it's black and white between, you know, either you believe that everyone should be able to transact privately and, you know, store their own wealth. Uh, so the, the libertarian philosophy there. And then on the other side, you think the government or, 
uh, Google financial companies, uh, Visa, you know, these these types of institutions should be tracking everything and, uh, you know, interest rates should be regulated by governments to uh, control the economy and things like Bitcoin should be outlawed. Uh, so that was kind of a topic I, you know, first started thinking about back in, I guess, 2013, maybe early 2014. Uh, and it, it kind of uh, Peter Thiel and Reid Hoffman talked about it uh, in this video today. It looks like it was a Stanford University uh, talk of some sort. Uh, I'll go ahead and play some of this of the video here with Peter Thiel. Actually, it looks like this is the wrong video because it's the whole thing. Um, but yeah, basically, he uh, I'll kind of summarize his, his points here. Um, he was talking about cryptocurrency versus, uh, well, he was first asked about, you know, how these technologies could change like the political landscape and the debates that people have, you know, maybe they're, they won't be between uh, right and left, like I said. Uh, he started talking about how, you know, cryptocurrency is a libertarian uh, you know, uh, technology and AI is communist. And he talked about how, because um, AI is based on like all this big data that it, uh, uh, that is collected from, you know, Twitter, Facebook, social media, Google, anywhere. And then they like create algorithms based off that data. That's basically a lot of the AI works. Um, and so with, with cryptocurrency, the idea is more about, you know, privacy perversion preserving uh digital currency and with big data it's or ai, AI and big data it's kind of like the opposite uh because you know it relies on the ability to see what everyone else, else is doing to you know gain the knowledge to operate um he also made points about you know centralization versus decentralization um but i was also thinking that um you know, it's not just about like Bitcoin and Bitcoin versus like governments in this sense, because you're also, Bitcoin is also going up against like centralized institutions more generally. So large corporations as well. Um, so, you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's about like not, it's like about having like uh, control of your own data as well in that sense. So like uh, Google or Facebook or, Obviously, with the case with Bitcoin, it's more like uh, Visa, MasterCard, and big banks um, not having access to your data to run, you know, algorithms on and use uh, artificial intelligence to, you know, create new applications. Uh, so, so we might see this uh, new, you know, political landscape develop where it is, you know. Uh, well, actually, Reed Hoffman went on to say it was more uh, anarchy versus, you know, the state uh, rather than, or he said, here he says, cryptocurrencies are anarchy and artificial intelligence is the rule of law. Uh, so, you know, it might, it might end up being more, you know, Bitcoin and decentralization versus government and, you know, these centralized institutions. Um, I've, I've been thinking about uh, Blockstack, you know, a little bit. It's they're creating like this decentralized ecosystem of apps, 
Uh, I know people think like Ethereum is all about that too, but Blackstack, I think, takes a more practical approach where it's not like all about putting everything on the blockchain. It's more about, you know, uh, users controlling their own data and it doesn't even have to necessarily have anything to do with blockchain, although they do use the Bitcoin blockchain a little bit. Um, I don't know. Hopefully you guys are getting some out of, something out of this uh, rant here because I just watched the video like 15 minutes ago. But uh, I think I'll, I'll write something up uh, more coherent. Um, you know, I have time to think about it and take the time to write something up. Um, but, you know, that, that key point of it being uh, centralization versus decentralization, you have, you know, governments and Google and Facebook on the centralization side and Bitcoin and uh, other apps that will be built around, you know, things like Blockstack on the other side. Um, and then, you know, that might be like the, you know, political landscape of the future as opposed to like the left, right uh, paradigm we have right now. So just a very interesting, uh, some thoughts from Peter Thiel. I thought he shared in this uh, debate with Reid Hoffman and, you know, the, the full debate is on the zero hedge article that I linked in the newsletter. So check that out. If, uh, you know, if, if it interests you and I think someone on Reddit posted just like the, the clip of where they talked about cryptocurrency. <clears throat> All right, let's see. Now I'll get into this, uh, piece from courts about, uh, you know, uh, arbitrage trading between South Korean exchanges and exchanges in other countries around the world. Uh, this has been referred to as the kimchi premium. Uh, so like, if you don't know, the prices on uh, South Korean exchanges were much higher than uh, on the exchanges uh, elsewhere in the world. Uh, Scorch article says Bitcoin traded for nearly 60% more in Korea than on global benchmark exchanges for a while. Uh, and this is because there was like such a, there was just like a huge hysteria in South Korea specifically uh, regarding Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Um, I guess this kind of like, uh, bubble hadn't happened in South Korea before and they were just getting into it now in 2017 or last year, I should say. And, uh, so basically, yeah. And that's why a few, maybe it was a few weeks or a few months back coin market cap removed, uh, South Korea's exchanges from their, uh, price metrics because, you know, it's it kind of skewing the, the prices for everyone else around the world. Uh, but the reason it was so hard to uh, arbitrage between the exchanges, because usually, you know, when something like that happens where the price is, you know, 50% or more higher on an exchange in Korea, and, you know, usually you would just go and buy some Bitcoin in like the US, send it to Korea and sell it, and then send the money back and keep doing it over and over again. But it was kind of hard for people to do this because the, the capital controls and financial restrictions in South Korea make it hard to move. Uh, money out of the country. Uh, so the, this article from Quartz goes into kind of how uh, people have been able to basically do this illegally because they're not supposed to be able to move money out of the country. Uh, and they talked to, they found like a LinkedIn job post, which was like uh, scraped from a South Korean website and posted to LinkedIn. And the person in the job 
post basically just was looking for someone outside of South Korea uh, to, you know, be a partner with them and they could help, uh, uh, you know, trade, do this arbitrage trading uh, from from within and outside of the country. Uh, so courts reached out to this. Uh, well, here's here's the job description that they uh, that they posted on that was posted on LinkedIn. It says hello, I'm looking for someone from these countries like the U.S., Japan, Hong Kong, who has a local crypto exchange account and who resides in Seoul right now. We would like to propose that we wire you the money and buy cryptocurrency from local exchange and send it to us and withdraw from Korea market. We'll share fees for doing it, or you could invest your money and get all arbitrage from your share. Money will be wired from brokers who take Korean won and transfer to your bank with either USD, uh, uh, yen, or I forget what the Hong Kong currency is, but HKD as well. That's the reason we need someone from countries I mentioned above in order to make the process fast. Anyway, if you're interested, please let me know. And so they just like reached out to this guy on Skype and he broke down how, you know, it's actually organized crime uh, and people who had gone to Korea to teach English that you kind of use as kind of like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to call them patsies or, or like, but they basically just... Uh, used the, the 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 fact that they were in Korea teaching English to use them as a reason to move money out of the country. Uh, so yeah, it breaks down like, you know, everything they do. Uh, the guy they talked to said he made $300,000 within, I think, eight weeks it was. Uh, but, but now the um, uh, kimchi premium, as they call it, has gone down uh at least last time i saw so it seems like there's like so much of this activity that the arbit the arbitrage opportunity might not be lost uh but it was an interesting uh article from courts overall if you want to check it out just to see how you know because everyone everyone knew that some people were probably figuring out a way to move money in and out of south korea to take care of the, to take advantage of this huge you know, profit opportunity, even though it's illegal. And so this kind of gave like an indication of how it happens a little bit. Uh, I don't want to really talk too much about the Forbes crypto list. Uh, I, I doubt it's like very, very accurate just because there's probably some very rich people from early in the day uh, who just don't, who aren't public. They don't want people to know about their wealth. Um, I kind of put this in the newsletter more of as like a, uh, you know, a, a sign of the awareness of cryptocurrency or adoption, that kind of thing where Forbes is going to the, to the lengths to like create this crypto rich list. So I kind of, kind of put it in that, uh, context more than like, oh, look at these people who have more Bitcoin or ether than anyone else in the world. Uh, let's see. I guess I'll also talk about the Grayscale uh, fund that they're launching. Uh, includes Bitcoin, Ether, Ripple, or XRP, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin. Um, this is the offering is designed to give investors exposure to the five largest cryptocurrencies based on market capitalization. Um, I don't know if they'll move 
you know, in and out of like if uh, some other coin overtakes uh, one of these, other, like one of the coins in the, uh, in the five that they list, like, will they switch out the coins? I'm not sure. Uh, but the, the five that they did include uh, Bitcoin, Ether, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin uh, apparently make up 70% of the market value anyways. And I mean, I, I'm surprised they didn't just go with uh, Coinbase's, you know, Ether, Bitcoin, Litecoin. Because that kind of is viewed as like the standard of, you know, these coins are legitimate and they've gone through the process of Coinbase reviewing them and making sure they're not offering, you know, shit coins to their, their users. Although they, you know, they're implementing Bitcoin Cash. So I don't know what it says about that. Um, I'm surprised to see, I guess I shouldn't be surprised to see Ripple on here because uh, if I recall correctly, Digital Currency Group is a uh, investor in Ripple Labs. Uh, but someone in the chat can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I, I believe I remember that being the case. Uh, as I mentioned yesterday on the show, that report uh, from BitMEX Research was pretty pretty damning on the XRP token, I would say. Um, so I'm not sure why, you know, traditional, it seems like the traditional investors are the ones who uh, seem to see some value in XRP, maybe because they don't understand the underlying value proposition here is decentralization. And so they don't get that XRP or the Ripple system being centralized has a negative or should have a negative impact on the, the value proposition of that system. Um, yeah, this is the total assets under management by Grayscale right now has decreased by almost a billion dollars in the cap past couple of months. Um, the current statement says that they currently have $2.1 billion worth of assets under management. So that's Bitcoin, Zcash, and Ethereum Classic. Um, so yeah, um, I guess just this shouldn't be too surprising. Um, you know, I, I imagine once the first Bitcoin ETF happens, uh, we'll, we'll eventually see these kind of like, uh, you know, fund ETFs where you have like a, a basket of cryptocurrencies rather than just Bitcoin. Um, obviously, I'm not really bullish on anything long term except for Bitcoin. I just don't see much value proposition for anything that isn't Bitcoin, especially long term. Um I don't know. We'll see how this develops over uh, the next few months or years, especially as once uh, ETFs start coming online. And I wanted to play this clip from my Senator, Mark Warren, who seemed to be very bullish on uh, Bitcoin. I'll play this uh, clip if it loads that someone posted to Reddit. Um, this is him from the... Uh, Senate Banking Committee Senator yesterday. Warren, I usually agree with my friend from Louisiana. Um, but I think we may be on top of something that is transformational. And I don't think you can separate the underlying distributed ledger or blockchain from some of these crypto assets. And if we looked 
if we had the same rate of increase that we've the next two years that we've had the last couple of years, we're, we're talking now a couple hundred billion, we'd be at north of $20 trillion caught up in this area by 2020. And I just, I, I think you, I remember back, I was lucky enough to get in the cell phone business back in the early eighties and everybody thought it was going to be a small business and they were wrong. And I got rich. I think we're looking at the same kind of transformation about to take place. And we are going to have to wrap our arms around Senator Warner. I usually agree with. Yeah. So some interesting comments from a sitting U S Senator about like the crypto asset space growing to 20 trillion dollars over the course of a few years. Now, obviously he's indicating, you know, if we see the same kind of growth that we've seen over the last year or two, uh, which definitely isn't guaranteed. Um, I think I'll just go into questions uh, now if you guys have them. There wasn't really anything much else too interesting to cover from the newsletter today. The main thing I wanted to talk about was the uh, the Peter Thiel comments and Hopefully I can write something up uh, around that idea and kind of uh, convey my thoughts a bit more clearly in written form. Uh, let's see. I'll go to the chat now and see if we got some questions. Hello, Mark and Tracy in the chat. Uh, HM asks, I thought Ripple doesn't pass their guidelines as being decentralized. Yeah, that could be why... Um, Coinbase hasn't added Ripple to their platform because they do have that. They put out their like their methodology for adding tokens to the platform a couple months ago, I think it was. And I think uh, HM is right here that you know the plat the crypto asset being decentralized and not being controlled by you know some entity is one of the the guidelines uh, that they follow. Although I mean. You could make the argument that Ethereum and Bcash are also pretty centralized and, and Litecoin, uh, and they, they list those two. I guess Ripple is just like a completely another level of uh, centralization, though, where they don't even really try to hide it with their, uh, I mean, Ripple Labs runs the validation servers and everything. So, yeah, that's a good point. That's probably why it's not on Coinbase. Uh, that's also, you know, why it probably shouldn't be in this uh fund of crypto assets. I wouldn't even call it a crypto asset. It's just like so centralized that it's, I, I, I liken it more to like eGold or Liberty Reserve uh, where I talked about yesterday, you know, it could be shut down if, if governments wanted to. So there's not really a point for it to uh, exist. All right, let's see what else we got in the chat here. Yeah, HM also pointed out that there's that thing about 32,000 missing blocks from the, the early part of the Ripple ledger. I don't know if I even got as far as to mention that yesterday, but apparently there's like uh, 32,000 or so blocks from the early part of Ripple's history where no one knows if, where they are or any, if anyone's storing them anywhere. Um, so yeah, that's... Just goes to show, like the how, um, how much trust people who are using that are willing to put into Ripple, and they're not even really thinking about like the point of this technology in the first place. 
Chris Sealing says Korean arbitrage spread might come back as price rises and with it demand increasing. Uh, yeah, that's that's probably a fair point. I mean, if if the if there was like another huge bubble, mainly in South Korea, um, then we might see you know the arbitrage opportunities come back around the hysteria. Ernie Young asked, do we know at prices Grayscale dumped their B trash from BTC and what they had to rebuy at for this new fund? <laughs> That's a good point. Um, I remember they dumped their B cash sometime in the fall. If it was either October or November, I think. If someone Googles, they can, if you're interested, you can probably just find, just search for like Grayscale Bitcoin Cash. Uh, selling or something like that and you'll get the exact time frame although i think they were dumping over the course of like a few months uh but yeah i'm not sure what the bcash price has been doing lately so uh, you know i don't really track it um but yeah that's that's an interesting point uh, i wonder well i imagine they've had this idea for this fund in the work in the works for a while so maybe they uh um you know, maybe they've been accumulating the assets that are going into this fund over a while. So it's, it'd be difficult to uh, uh, to know the details. And I'm sure they they might, I don't know if they have to make that uh, information public or, or what. Scott Spiegel asks how I gather my Bitcoin news every morning. Um, I have, you know, I'm, act I'm actually thinking earlier today how I need to, uh, you know, make it a little bit better because it's just taking too much time. Uh, but, you know, I look through some main news sources like uh, Reuters and Bloomberg. Uh, then I have a Feedly RSS feed that I have for uh, crypto news sites that I trust. And I also go through Reddit, but I think I'm going to optimize it a bit more uh, just because, you know, it's just taking too long to go through everything. Uh, so I might try to write like a Python script that, you know, does does more of this kind of uh, research for me automatically, and then I can just go through everything um, and pick out the stories that that I think are relevant. Uh, but on that same note, in terms of like, uh, you know, uh, getting getting a behind the scenes look at how I put all this together. Um, I, I've been thinking about just streaming, you know, just doing like a live stream as I'm putting together the newsletter. Um, so I'd just, cause it takes like a few hours. So it'd be like a few hours long stream. So I might have to do that on like something like tr uh, Twitch or something. And then I could still do like the, uh, um, you know, 30 minute show or whatever on YouTube, but I'm not sure. I haven't really thought out how I would do that for now. I just think I'm going to, help cut down on the time it takes to put this together. Uh, Tracy asks, what's your opinion of losing a lot of the beginners during this price drop? Better for the Bitcoin economy or big players scooping up BTC? Um, opinion of losing a lot of the beginning. Yeah, I mean, that happens in every uh, new bubble. You know, you'll have a bunch, I'm sure we had a bunch of people coming in at, you know, 16, or between 10,000 and 20,000. 
that were buying just because the, they saw the price going up and they wanted to gamble on the price, uh, fear of missing out and getting rich quick and all that good stuff. Um, but, you know, the price did go up. I mean, the run started in 2015, really, in, in the low hundreds. That this that bull run until this crash or correction. Um, and, you know, each time the, the price goes through one of these crashes, you know, the, the thing is like the price run up does attract those people and then a lot of them lose a lot of money, but some of them are drawn in and, you know, learn about the technology and take a deeper look at Bitcoin than they ever did before. And then they, you know, get hooked and they become hodlers forever, even though, you know, they might be down like 50% or something right now. You know, the, the price brought them in at first, uh, but then they stay for like the technology and all the other things around Bitcoin. Um, so I think it still has a, you know, long-term positive effect, these price run-ups. Uh, and obviously, you know, the long-term hodlers, a lot of them buy the dips as well. Uh, all right, yeah. Uh, Ernie Young says, if we have articles we think you might miss, how would you like us to send them to you? Uh, Twitter would probably be the best option. I usually try to check Twitter before I start the stream, but I didn't have time today. Um, I don't know. All this is kind of like a work in progress still. Um, so I, I'm still, I'm going to be trying, I think especially over the next few months, I'm just going to keep trying a bunch of different things and see which, what works really. Uh, maybe I'll stop like trying to cover as much news and just cover a few things more in depth. Um, but I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'm just gonna kind of play around with this for a few more months before I get like a very concrete system down. And I'm sure I'll learn a bunch more over time. I'm still very new at streaming on YouTube and um, uh, you know, uploading to SoundCloud. Even the newsletter, I think I only started in the summer. Um, but that's doing pretty well, so I'm going to keep that up for sure. Yeah, if you just at me at, at stuff um, uh, on Twitter, if you want to send me stories that way, that works, because I usually check my notifications before I go live. All right, it looks like I'm at 30 minutes now, so I'll end this here. Uh, thanks for watching, guys. Uh, make sure to like the video if you're watching on YouTube or uh, like the SoundCloud if you're on SoundCloud and subscribe on both of those platforms and hit the bell next to the uh, subscribe button on YouTube so you can get a notification when I go live so you don't miss the opening part of the show or can at least watch some of it while you're live. And uh, thank you for watching. You can get the newsletter, my Twitter, and all my information at kyletorby.com or in the description of the YouTube videos. And I'll be back around 4 p.m. tomorrow, Eastern time. Thank you for watching, guys. See you then.